It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now... Here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. And welcome to Talent Talk. I'm excited to be back on the air after a break uh, last week um, and uh, visiting uh, the wonderful city of Phoenix, uh, where I was at the Inc. 5000 conference and was able to hear some amazing speakers and meet, I don't know, maybe 2,000 or so of the fastest growing companies uh, that were there at the conference. So that really kind of reminds me of why we started this podcast, why we started this live radio show. And that was to bring on really smart people who um, have talent uh, challenges, who have ideas about how to to deal with those challenges, who want to focus on culture and people uh, and how to be the best leaders that they can be. And and really hearing their stories and talking to them and kind of working through that and their, their past and their successes, their failures, all of the, all that under the sun. And um, it's been so amazing over the last uh, what, four or five years we've been doing this to get those stories. Um, a lot of the kind of uh, best stories up through 2018 are, can be found in my best-selling book, The Power of Company Culture, if you want to check that out. And we really kind of walk through some of those best stories as well as the story of my own company. Um, but we really enjoy having uh, our guests on the show live every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, on iHeartRadio. You can go to talenttalkradio.com. Uh, lots of different places to find us, follow us, subscribe, and listen to all the past shows and some uh, some really great guests that we've had. One of the other things that we love to do is to kind of keep the conversation going and to include our listeners as much as possible. And we do that on Twitter. So um, if, it, if it's uh, certainly the, the place to go to, to talk about things and complain about things, and I'm sure you can maybe guess what I'm talking about. So um, anyways, you can go to at peopleg2, find us there. You can also follow that hashtag talent talk, all one word. My social media guru, guru Sarah, is out there right now popping in the best one-liners, the best questions, the best uh, thoughts. Uh, and you can follow along uh, if you're listening live or you can go there after the fact and add in your own comments, suggestions, and questions to our guests and to myself. So it's a great place to keep the, the show going. All right, well, speaking of today's show and my guests, I'm really excited to have uh, Brian Covey, the Vice President of Regional Production for Loan Depot. Uh, and then uh, we'll bring in, after the commercial break, Andy Plantenberg, the principal and founder of uh, Future Type. But let's go ahead and get to my uh, first guest. Uh, Brian, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Chris. Excited to be here. Oh, fantastic. So why don't you tell our listeners you know, a little bit about you and also tell us a little bit about Loan Depot. Sure. So I'm a native Memphian. Grew up in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, grew up, had one older brother that's five years older. 
and grew up playing sports. So soccer was really my ticket to make it to college and went to University of Memphis, played there, always was one of those competitive athlete guys that was uh, part of a team. And I really, that's where a lot of who I am today was having great coaches, great people around me, and um, having that opportunity to be part of great teams really exposed me to um, a lot of my passions and desires that I get to uh, live out today now in the mortgage industry. And I kind of fell into that, quite honestly, after college. So after college, joined Wells Fargo, one of the large banks, and about 18 years later now, I'm here, have my lovely wife, been married 17 years, and our three kids living here just south of Nashville, Tennessee, and get to lead one of the, uh, the best sales teams in the country, I believe, with a lot of great leaders and a fantastic company. I've been at Loan Depot almost two years, and we are almost 10 years old. The company will serve about 150,000 customers looking to purchase or refinance their house, and we're able to provide them with great financing options. We're online, we're local in the market, and we're really known for our technology and being an innovative company, taking the mortgage process, which all of us know uh, many years ago was quite cumbersome, and we're trying to make that easier from the paperwork side and bring technology to uh, really 2019 and make it simpler for people to buy or refinance their home. Well, that's a good update, and I certainly uh, appreciate uh, kind of your your introduction there. I mean, understanding the, the sports side of it is definitely a place where I came from. That was sort of my first, you know, uh, really understanding of what is t- teamwork and, and what does it mean like to have a team and to have a leader and have a coach. Uh, but one of the things that I sort of discovered in my journey as a CEO uh, for my company was that some of those things didn't apply, right? Some of the things that we learn and that we do inside of a, the sports world don't, don't kind of transfer over very well into the, the business world. Um, the ideas, the concepts of teamwork and things like that stuff do, but, you know, we also can't make our employees go run a few laps or do push-ups because we didn't like, uh, you know, they didn't do what we asked them to do, uh, like our coaches maybe did. So maybe you could kind of give me your perspective on what does it mean to be the modern leader, you know, the sort of difference from ticket from sports into uh, today's companies and and what do leaders need to do well today, you know, especially in the digital world? Yeah, the thing that I've found, you know, Chris, it's a great question is today leaders have to not only walk the walk, but they have to walk the walk with their team. So although you're a leader and you need to make sure that, I found you have to take care of yourself, meaning you have to be educating yourself. You have to stay up on trends. You have to be taking care of your body and your health and your family and your relationships and making sure that you're in a good mental state to lead your team. At the same time, you need to be investing in relationships with your team. And that modern leader today is exposed on social media. And I found the more I share, the more connectivity I can have to my team. And being somewhat vulnerable, which a lot of us maybe didn't grow up that way, that wasn't comfortable for me to share weaknesses or failures or things like that, I found that really to gain the trust of our team today, that modern leader in a digital world, people can find out so much about us today. And I think owning our story, the good, the bad, and all those things there is really what makes you a complete leader because your team's going to see you in, in good times and bad times. But what they're really looking for is a leader that's going to be authentic and is going to have core beliefs and values that they align up with. And if you can inspire them to be a better person to whether it's a husband, uh, wife, spouse, whatever it is, you've got to find ways to connect to your team and be okay with the fact that 
today social media has changed the way I think leadership is really exposed to who we all really are and be okay with that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So how was your company and your team set up? Are you guys all in one location? Are you in different locations? Are you remote? What does that sort of setup look like? Yeah, so today my team is across eight states and we are all across. And so I don't often get to see everyone every month. And we're, we're spread out across D.C., Maryland, Virginia, Tennessee, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana. And so a lot of our team on um, depending on what their role is they may never meet some of the folks that they work with our leadership team gets together quite a bit but mm-hmm. some of the uh, the uh, frontline sales team and support team members may never meet each other so we've tried to do video conferences we try to bring people together that's cost effective again just to build those connections yeah and so you kind of are similar to us we're 100 percent remote we've got people all around the country uh, executive team does get together on a monthly basis and we get the whole company together for, you know, once a year, uh, for a big, uh, all company, but otherwise they don't see each other unless it's on video. Like you said, maybe as a remote, uh, you know, leader with a team, uh, that's working remote, what are some of the challenges that, that come from the hiring side of it? Uh, you know, where are you seeing challenges as it relates to hiring remote people? And then maybe from the other end of it, from, uh, looking at remote, what is working well for you? Yeah, so some of the challenge I think we all know with, with hiring remote and, and looking to add people to your team, when you're going into a new market, if you don't have people that you can trust in that market already to give you the real vantage point, uh, what's their background, what's their history, uh, we try to do as thorough research as we can. You know, again, back to the social media piece, I'm a big believer of, I like to look on social media. You know, Google them, go to Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. I like to know everything about them so we can connect up. The, the difficult part I've found in remote teams is many times you may only meet that person once, maybe twice, maybe three times, and the speed at which they may be interviewing or we may be looking to fill a role may require us to, in some ways, almost skip steps, you know, where we're trying to get to know them fast, they're trying to get to know us fast. So we try to slow that process down and actually have a process around how we attract talent and then how we actually interview and hire them. So we have other managers interview people on the team so that we don't miss anything. We will ask around to local third-party vendors that they may work with and try to do our best job to recruit. But I think that's the, that's the challenge for us is if they are not in our physical backyard, our kids don't go to school together. We may not go to church with them. We may not see them anywhere out in the community. We don't have the time to really evaluate them as much as we would if they were maybe in our market directly. So that's been some of the challenges that we've seen. And then obviously when you hire them and they come on board, they're not right there with you. And so you have to instill for us as we open a new market, the culture is so important. What we have done and kind of pivoted and shifted is we are now bringing people in to Nashville where I am. And if they are a leader, they'll come into Nashville for the day because it's the same cost for them to come to us, you know, Chris, as it would be for me to fly out to their market. And so I like for them to come to Nashville a little bit out of their element, break up the pattern, and I like for them to meet my team that's here. And we're fortunate that our Nashville branch is one of the top branches in the entire company. So they get to see, feel, meet people that the culture becomes alive. And not only are they assessing us, but we're assessing them. And so I would say that's what's working for us now is that simple pivot and shift, bringing them into our office. We can tell if they're a fit much more so than if I fly out remotely to a market where I don't have 
the office to show them. And I can't really tell if it's the same type of model match as them coming to my office. Sure, sure. Well, certainly you've done a good job of describing some of the challenges, some of the things that are working well. Uh, you know, how would you distri- describe your culture overall for your organization? I mean, uh, you guys are helping people uh, on one end. It's, uh, I'm sure also there's quite a competitive and, and high-growth high uh, environment as well. But how, how would you describe that culture? Yeah, so we actually came up with nine culture statements to describe us, and I won't go through all of them. But it was a really big thing for us that we believe, and I believe that language is really a big part of the culture. You know, the things that you say in an office and what's there, and some of the things we talk about is having high expectations because that's the key to everything. Uh, We're very entrepreneurial. We believe in high ethics and integrity and transparency. We also have the fun side of it, rock star mentality. We want to work hard. We have an environment that we're encouraged to work hard, but we also have a lot of fun. And we talk about do what's right, the right way at the right time. And our CEO, Anthony Shea, has been absolutely one of the best leaders that shows that. He's very well connected throughout the organization, so we feel small, and that culture is able to come from Irvine, California, all the way up to Nashville, Tennessee, and anywhere that we want to go, we now have these nine cultural statements. And the culture for me, what I have seen as we've grown, has actually improved because I heard you mention this when you were kicking off the show is we want intelligent people. We want people that care, and especially in leadership roles, we want those people that are not only intelligent and care, but also are going to make our culture better, bringing their talents into the organization. And so I think our culture is evolving, uh, but those are some of the things that we talk about within, within our group that I think the language is really what's going to drive us. And the last piece, you'll appreciate this being the athlete, we talk about having a championship team, that we want to be committed to a, a place that, is known to be a great place to work all across the country, not just in our own industry, in the mortgage space, which is highly competitive, but in all industries. We want to be known as a great place to work. So you mentioned there was nine culture statements. Um, did those, were those developed all at one time, or were they kind of added over a period of time? You know, kind of how, how has your culture evolved? Yeah, so they've been added over time, and it was actually one of those things that I was out in Irvine. We were talking with some of our marketing team, and I saw these things written down. They were in different places. And it was funny. You would hear them. We didn't really have them written down. And so what we did this year is we actually turned those all into individual social graphics, and we started to share those with our organization. So I think you know this, and any leader that's listening knows, it's great to have culture statements. It's great to have a vision and a culture that you talk about, but we've got to share the language with the team and relate it to how it's there. So I think our culture has evolved in a couple ways that I've seen over the last couple of years is I've seen the standard be raised. And part of that's because I think two things. One, the competitive nature of our industry, there is a high sense of competitiveness, whether it's a bank or an independent mortgage broker or independent lenders like us. You have a lot of people in our space. You have to differentiate yourself. The second part I would tell you is consumers. Like all of us, we're consumers. Unless we can pay cash for a house, we need to borrow money to actually purchase that dream home that we want. Consumers are really pushing us to get better. And for me, I see that becoming around things like technology, that our culture needs to be one that we adopt and adapt to what our consumers are telling us. And so we need to be innovative and adopting at a high rate the technology and the tools that are available to us. And I've seen that's where our company has grown and I believe it's also going to be a competitive advantage as we go forward is we're outperforming the industry and most of the competitors I know on our adoption of technology. 
which is going to ultimately give the consumer the best experience because they want that simplicity in the process. So that's what we're aiming to deliver, and I think that's where our culture comes alive. Well, it seems like your, your organization is growing and changing and uh, kind of ever-evolving, and I, I've always seen and sort of felt like that culture helps protect us in some way, it kind of, you know, softens the some of the hardest things we have to do. It helps us, you know, know maybe how to make that right decision or that right choice, uh, at least in sort of guiding us on where we want to go as, as we sort of bump it along into whether they're really good opportunities or they're big challenges or changes in the market, whatever it may be. Uh, do you sort of view culture in that same way? Is it is it in, in part a protector for the organization? I do, and that's where we go back to language. And I don't know if you follow Nick Saban and then his coach, Dr. Elko. I follow these two gentlemen, and obviously a lot of people know uh, Saban at, at Alabama. But there's a couple things that they talk about language being culture, and, and I think some of the hardest people but some of the most fun are, are coaching college athletes and playing soccer myself in college, you know, the language that's used and how that coach or leader actually talks to people and the words they use and how they interact can protect that culture and actually improve it. And the same is true. If a culture is allowed to have negativity and things that will tear it down and allow people to stab others in the back and it's not a safe place to work, that culture can quickly become eroded just as fast as it was built. And so I do think it evolves, and it's our job as leaders. I tell my, my team this all the time. We have to protect it, and not just protect it. We have to continually make it better. That's our job as leaders. Yeah, and I've seen the culture, you know, as we sort of look at from uh, it protecting us, but also sort of giving us that guidance when we ha- have something tough to do. And I, one of the toughest things to do is to have a tough conversation with someone, and that could be maybe they're not performing, maybe uh, they're not in the right position, uh, maybe we don't have a place for them anymore, whatever that tough conversation may be. Maybe you could talk about what are some of the best practices you've uncovered to be able to have those tough conversations and ultimately make them beneficial. Maybe it's it's for you, for the team, and ultimately the organization. Yeah, that's a great one. That's one I go back to when I was at Wells Fargo. One of the classes they actually put us through was crucial conversations. And after the class, I think I was a little bit better, but I still wasn't good at it. Um, that's something I'm still working on personally is, those tough conversations are still tough. You know, they're tough for a reason. And what I have found that does work, though, is even though we have the anxiety and and, and we're probably nervous about the conversation, I have found a couple of things that, one, the sooner we can have that conversation, when there's a behavior that doesn't align up with our culture or that's outside of our expectations, you immediately need to have a conversation about the behavior and separate the behavior from the person. Because I believe the behavior is what we're trying to address and correct. The person is never going to be perfect. If we look for imperfect employee, we're not going to find them. And as soon as we do, we're going to find out that they actually were just faking it all along. And so the things that I found that work, have those conversations early and also have conversations often so that you're not always the one coming in with only praise or only critical feedback on how they can improve. If you can put those together and you create what we call a real coaching environment, you know, I really believe, Chris, at that point, you and I could have conversations back and forth on the same team, and at any point you could be giving feedback to me or I could be giving feedback to you, and it could be about things that have gone well or it could be about things that we need to improve. And I think that's where the relationship's built. The toughest conversations are the ones that, you know, I've had to let people go this year that completely stepped out of bounds on things that we just won't tolerate. 
And in many cases, you'd think that's easy, but at the same time, caring about people, it's always difficult. Uh, but you have to stand for it. And I found in the team, as the leader, what you're willing to accept and tolerate is what the team sees. And that's what will really shape your culture. And you can't tolerate certain behaviors. We all know that, um, especially in the ethics category and integrity, those are areas that in our group, we just, we just don't bend on. Well, those are one of the toughest things to deal with because you might have someone who's performing very well, uh, certainly meeting their goals and doing well, but if they step out of bounds from where the company is comfortable or ethically, morally, whatever that may be, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's really easy to make excuses or to give them a longer leash or whatever, especially if they're performing well. But uh, ultimately, we find that you know, the best organizations, the best leaders make that decision uh, on what to do with that person, uh, irrespective of how they're performing. And that makes a huge, huge uh, impact into the overall organization and how they continue to to evolve and, and have their culture work for them. Yeah, I did kind of want to ask you about uh, top talent. I had uh, I had the privilege of seeing Alex Rodriguez speak uh, at Inc. this last weekend, and um, there was some really good things in there, some really interesting parts about his life. But one of the things I think that most of the entrepreneurs and CEOs in the room disagreed with him on was on how to attract talent. Uh, and he sort of took this, you know, the guy had put in $100 million into a clothing company and, you know, just pays for the best possible people he can find. And that works for him. But for everybody else who isn't pay- willing to pay yeah. absolute top dollar for absolute top talent, I'm wondering how you guys attract top talent uh, and ensure you're able to get the right people in the Lone Depot without, of course, you know, destroying your P&L. Yeah, without having to overpay. And so this is something I've been on a journey the past couple of years where things have changed. And I believe the best leaders are able to attract talent today, actually through a concept called attractive leadership. And it's a concept that one of my coaches has been working with me on. And in large part, it starts on social media. And at first I was kind of skeptical. Like I've only had Facebook for a few years. I was on Twitter before that. I've had Instagram like a year and a half. Um, been pretty active on LinkedIn. But what I found to attract the top talent, one, you need to be on these social platforms because if you look at where the attention and where people are going, they used to be able to go into a mall or they used to be able to see, you know, bus stop signs or they would ask around word of mouth and all of that worked. Well, today people look online, they Google you, they look for information. You have to be relevant to a large group and you're able to build your digital brand online. And I believe if you build your brand properly, you're going to attract people that you want because they're going to go, wow, I align up with Chris on this. He's got similar values to me. Well, he likes to spend time with his family or he's a former athlete. If you start to share those things, and that's when I started getting comfortable sharing truly who I am and the things that I like, the quirky things, the things that, you know, maybe we don't want to share. That's how I believe you're going to attract top talent. And you have to be intentional about how often you post. And really look at that as your digital brand online is going to align you up with the best talent. And you almost have to be the word ubiquitous comes to mind. Like you have to be everywhere to capture their attention today in such a high, fast paced environment to get their attention today. It's hard to get top talent on the phone sometimes. So if you're a recruiter and you only relying on calling people every day, how many people can I actually call and get on the phone and move forward? If I can go on social media and build a digital brand and I can connect, especially through video, I think has some real power when you're authentic and people can see you, they see your emotions, they see what you 
who you are and, and why you believe what you believe. That's where I've gone. Uh, the other part of it I would tell you, too, is I've tried to become almost a surrogate leader is the terminology we use. And what I mean by that, if there's a leader on another team that I'm recruiting or a sales professional or whatever their role is, I'm going to try to add as much value to them along the way, make sure that they know I'm an expert in my field, I'm doing my homework on the market, I know what's going on, I'm up on the trends. Their leader at some point may not be giving them the same value add and the engagement I'm giving them. So now almost as a surrogate leader, they're looking to me going, wow, well, Brian gives me information on the market. Brian's giving me tips about my social media. Brian's connected with realtors or you know, referral partners in the market. I think we position ourselves that way, and you really do have the substance to back it up. That's where you're going to start to attract talent and being very clear on your values and who you are and sharing that. Because I've seen people move towards us, and literally they will reach out to me and say, Brian, I've seen your videos. I've been watching you. Right. And I, I, right. I, I'm, I connect to you. And that sounds like a, it's a great strategy and certainly one that uh, people can take on. It's not something that's going to, you know, hopefully break the break the bank. Um, right. we're, we're nearly out of time here. I want to make sure I ask you our final question, which is extremely important, which is how can people get a hold of you? How can they find out more about Loan Depot if they'd like to work for you, use your services, whatever it may be? Love it. So easiest way is on LinkedIn. Obviously, Brian Covey. I'm here in Nashville. You can also follow me and connect up on Instagram. Know a lot of people over there at the Brian Covey, and those are probably the two easiest ways on the Brian Covey on Instagram. That is a place that I've got all of the connections to my company website to connect there and information on LinkedIn, obviously to just direct message me. And I would love to connect up, and that's always something I love connecting new with new people and collaborating. So, Chris, thanks for. And if anyone is is not sure, Brian is with an I, and uh, Covey is C O V E Y. Uh, in case yeah. you uh, are phonetically challenged like me. So <laughs> anyways, uh, Brian, thank you so much for being on the show today. We ha- you know, we barely even scratched the surface, so hopefully at some point we can have you come back uh, and give us an update on all the cool things you're doing. I love it. Thanks for having me, Chris. Really appreciate it. All right, no problem. We'll be right back after this uh, quick commercial bre- uh, break with my next guest, uh, Andy uh, Plattenberg. <laughs> Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. Don't forget to check us out on iTunes. You can follow us there, subscribe. You can go to iHeartRadio and find us there. And you can go to TalentTalkRadio.com and uh, see more and follow us there as well. So wherever you kind of... Uh, follow your podcasts uh, we can help you out um, 
If you missed the first guest, uh, Brian Covey, you can hear his interview along with one I'm just about to do in a few weeks uh, as we'll turn this uh, live show into a podcast and throw him up on all those different platforms uh, and love to have you take a listen. So, And uh, finally, don't forget, we uh, we are live tweeting all of this. So if you want to go to Twitter, follow at PeopleG2 and we have all of the live tweets, the best one-liners, the best comments and questions coming in. And we'd love to get your input, your thoughts, your retweets, your likes your disagreements, whatever it may be, to be a part of that conversation. All right, let's go ahead and bring in my next guest, Andy Plattenberg, the principal and founder of Future Type. Uh, Andy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here with you today. Yeah, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about you and, of course, what they need to know about your company for our conversation today. Yeah. Well, my name is Andy. Like you said, I've been uh, here in and around Silicon Valley for the past 20, um, 25 years. So I was really part of the, the, uh, the emergence of the internet. I've done all sorts of things. But uh, what I'm doing now is I have a consultancy called FutureTight. And FutureTight builds entrepreneurial capabilities in the enterprise. And the companies that work with FutureTight are across all sectors consumer packaged goods, teaching hospitals, NASA mission control, governments, durable goods. And and the interesting thing is that across all these sectors, you're seeing kind of the same need for a new talent set emerging. And that's why I'm excited to talk to you today. So one of the talents or capabilities that's really kind of missing from many businesses is entrepreneurship. I mean, we we often see that with a startup, but then we they maybe kind of lose some of that, uh, I guess, the good parts that come from being an entrepreneur. Sometimes it's okay to wear a lot of different hats or to be uh, extremely impatient and, and fighting for, for that next uh, mm-hmm. account, whatever it may be. Uh, how can employees be more like entrepreneurs, especially as their organizations get larger and more sophisticated? Yeah, well, the interesting thing is that um, in all of these uh, sectors that I had mentioned, you see leadership coming to recognize that they can no longer count on their existing models uh, of operating. And it's due to this um, huge shift that we've seen really in the past 20 years. It's, there's been big disruption in all sectors, and it's been um, you know, brought in by, by this the exponential nature of technology. And so we see this rate of change accelerating. And this entrepreneurial skill that used to be kind of on the fringe is now really needed in our um, traditional large organizations. And the entrepreneurs are there, um, but they don't necessarily have a, a place to operate and do their thing. And, and leadership in, in many um, large organizations now are trying to find who those people are in their organization to help them in this new, brave new world we're in. And one of the areas I sort of find that helps uh, people be, be more entrepreneurial is to give them autonomy, right? If we sort of allow them and they understand what the box is that they live in, what's the area in which they are free to roam and to go and to do the work, how and where and when they think is best, it sort of allows them to think outside the box, for lack of a better word or better saying, mm-hmm. allows them to think uh, you know, about their work in a different way instead of just sitting and waiting for someone to tell them what to do. Um, you know, what is your approach when you're working with companies to help them develop these types of skills? Well, autonomy is a, is a great point that you bring up. And I just kind of want to hop on that for a minute. What one of the things we've seen over the past, you know, 10 or so years that we've all been grappling with this, 
is that there are a certain um, there are stars that that must align for entrepreneurs to be successful in large organizations, and autonomy is one of those stars that's very important. Another is a secure but small budget to do that autonomous work, and then someone um, within the organization that can help them mitigate risk and do things by exception. So, with if you have those things, you can you can get this started in, in most organizations. So I wanted to speak to autonomy. And then can you take me back to your question? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so uh, how are you helping companies or what are you seeing as some of the best ways for, for us to instill that idea of entrepreneurship inside of organizations? Yeah. So th- I think that the thing to um, kind of recognize there is that we need to shift how we've been doing things and that that it will help tremendously. For the past hundred years or so, we've been delivering, we as people working in, in large organizations, we've been delivering known solutions to a known market um, using clearly defined processes. And deviation from that norm causes a dip in quality. In, in quality. So companies for really good reason do not tolerate that deviate any deviation and entrepreneurs are of course all about deviating from the norm and finding new revenue streams but the entrepreneur entrepreneurs um are that are in your company are likely running against that grain in order to find new revenue streams even though that they have to work within these mechanisms of delivery at scale they're pirates um, but in a good way, you know, they're, they're breaking the rules um, where they can in order to unlock these new revenue streams. Um, the approach that my company has is that we start by aligning the C-suite on uh, around um, the nature of the accelerating change we're experiencing right now. We level set everybody on that. And once we have that shared goal in mind, then we're able to identify um, what people are best to be on startup teams, if you will, and put them through our startup dojo. So that's the approach that that my company takes. And so some of that sort of maybe centered around continuous learning and, and adaption, because you know, I noticed when we're in this entrepreneurial when we're starting a new company, Everything is about trying to learn as much as we can. We're constantly trying to break it, you know, um, make it fail so we can pivot and we can find what what is the right uh, way to proceed. It's almost like, you know, A-B testing for a website, right? We almost want as much bad data as good data so we can figure out what's the path for us to go. Uh, But then I kind of notice at some point, again, these companies sort of get to a level of comfort or things are sort of working and that kind of stops right we're not looking to learn quite so much we're not looking to adapt quite so much uh and then things don't really seem to to continue so how important is that or or is there some other factor that we should be thinking about to keep that you know sort of the sustainability of learning and adaptation going right so in in that's a terrific point In, in the past we would learn many things and then we would find the market and we would hone the product and then we would just crank on that and optimize and we could go for a long time. That is in the past now. Um, any new market and uh, that you're going to find of any size is going to have a much shorter shelf life. So although you always do have your core operating and delivering 
you need, uh, in, instead of it happening once every generation or so, every two generations, you really do need to be continually learning about uh, the changes in, in the market and in possible solutions so you can be setting up um, new, new areas of value for your customers. So yeah, continuous learning is, is very important and that's a core of what we teach. Sure. And I know a lot of what's important for organizations is so that need to develop to be fast and nimble, have that foresight in order to stay ahead. As you're, as you're kind of pointed out, the shelf life is much shorter now, mm-hmm. um, especially if you're in any sort of size or have any a good idea. I mean, often the second to the market is the one who ends up being being the champion, being the biggest you know dog, not necessarily the first. It's the one who kind of can take that idea and do it really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, Apple know, comes to mind. Right, Apple comes to mind, and there's, you know, there's a few of them, right? I mean, so, uh, and sometimes it's just taking a really good idea, and, you know, how do you expand on that? How do you make it better? Uh, you know, are, are you seeing organizations thinking like this, um, or is there some, you know, sort of a new way that they're starting to think about how they how they develop and how they move quickly um, in that process? Well, what I see now is, as there, there are ways innovation fails in, in companies. And we've been trying this long enough that there are a few ways that we know don't work. And um, people in, in all sorts of organizations are kind of trying to crack this nut. Do we have our innovation team out of house and under a separate roof so they can right. be free and fly? Or should we have them um, in internally? Or should we outsource it to a separate company? Or should everybody be entrepreneurs in the organization? And so uh, as someone who's worked at a lot of outside agencies doing that, who's founded startups in the past, and who's worked with entrepreneurs all, all over the country, um, we've I've been able to record uh, the, the, the hits and the misses. And there are certain things mm. that we just don't need to try anymore, because we've already seen that movie play out. So what I, um, what is special about my organization um, that is different from, say, the McKinsey's of the world is that we have a very bespoke way of going about this. The way I have seen this work in the past is when you really do find the entrepreneurs within your organization and also become an organization that entrepreneurs want to be a part of, and you empower them with a small set of funding, some metered funding, where you unlock new rounds of of resources to them as they prove the viability of the venture. And you make it also safe for them to have learnings that prove the the venture is not viable. So those resources can go elsewhere. So it's setting up the culture um, like really at a ground level for how to do this work well. And you start it small. And you see where the resistance is, where the friction is. You you almost do that to find where the friction is so you can fix that in that organization. And that piece of it, although there are heuristics and principles that apply to any organization that wants to do that, to do this work, but finding that friction and tweaking it to match the organization is extremely bespoke work. And it is not one size fits all. So although um, the McKenzie's of the world are just filled with very, very smart people, um, they do out of necessity uh, have to have a one-size-fits-all 
model, more or less. I mean, any any consultancy or agency of um, even midsize will have to do that. But because we are so very small and bespoke and built um, from founders and built from entrepreneurs who have done this work in enterprise and, and outside of enterprise, we're able to really go in and, and do this custom for each organization. And, and so do you feel like you're really focusing in on the innovation component? Are you focusing in on a growth component or or, or is it some sort of combination or, or something else that, that I haven't uh, addressed here? Yeah, it's focusing on how to build the skill set. So... Um, so the the innovation that the specific ideas and and the um, the models that come about are probably in, informed by our experience a bit, but we don't we don't um, find the solutions for the companies. We build the capability to do that. So it's building up these teams in order to find that and do that work. And then on the other side of it, it's training and working with the leadership in the organizations to understand how how to create a, the right container for those teams to operate, how to give them the right amount of autonomy, how to understand what risks are, are worth taking in order to get the very, very high level of learning that you want to get, and then how to um, set up a a governance model um, so that work can be done. Yeah, and then and so many of those things are so important, and it's, uh, I, you know, it's hard to know where to go if, if you're a company that really needs help with that. Um, certainly the, the those big firms you mentioned are an option, um, not necessarily where I would go first. So I think certainly organizations like yourself would certainly be a good good idea for them. Uh, I know you come with a great deal of experience, and certainly in looking at your background, you're a faculty member at uh, Learn Startup Co. Uh, I mentored a few other organizations. Can you talk about these opportunities and how you feel maybe some of the different things that you're doing also kind of connect into what you're doing for leaders and helping you know impact organizations positively? Yeah, I think it's really important to be be involved at all levels. Um, I really value my time at Lean Startup Company um, because of their just their tenure and their and their clout. Um, I'm I'm able to have visibility into a wide array of sectors, big like Fortune 100 companies to different government um, institutions to see how how different people are doing this, how different organizations are handling this. And then also being uh, very involved with the startup community and having your kind of uh, finger on the pulse there is helpful because a lot of the work is is matchmaking. If I know um, a lot of what's going on in the startup space, then I'm able to uh, to connect some of those people with um, people who are deep within um, organizations trying to solve a certain problem. There might be someone already doing it um, from their, you know, from from their WeWork. So it, it's it's um it's good to have that broad perspective. And and you sort of started the our conversation off with you know being a a veteran of the Silicon Valley area and the uh, kind of watching the emergence of the internet. How did you even get started in that? I mean, was it, you know, just happened to be in the right place at the right time? Or did you have a mentor? Or how did you kind of get into there? Well, it was a little bit of that. I don't think there was anything in the way of mentorships going on. Um, but I I hit the Bay Area um, with uh, the skills to do digital pre-press. So this was the time where people were burning plates in print shops 
and um, it was a very union gig. And then I was part of the cohort of young upstarts who understood how to use computers and understood how to use um, that in for printing. And so this group of people, um, largely females, were the ones who built the graphical user interface of the internet. Those were the tools and the thinking that were used. It came out of print shops from people who knew how to how how to wrangle that software. So I went to work for AOL doing just that. So instead of saying we, you know, someone has Uberized the uh, industry, might want to say they've Andyized because you kind of went in and I guess took that uh, old process and put it into computers and and really changed an entire uh, uh, an entire industry, right? Well, yes, it wasn't just me, but it was it was a handful of us around the U.S., I would say, primarily. And I, I do, you know, from my experience, it was a, a, a lot of us, it was pretty much female dominated for a while, well, for a, sure, in like 95. Yeah, that's a, fast, really a fascinating story. I don't really hear about uh, maybe stories like that, especially that, you know, it being so specifically, you know, female oriented. Um Probably an interesting uh, story or interesting book you could write one day. But uh, speaking of books, I'm wondering if there's a book you're reading right now that you might share with us. Uh, let's see what I'm reading right now. I'm reading Homo Deus um, by Yuval Noah Harari, who wrote Sapiens. And mm. I, I just started it, but it's a delightful read so far. I really like his his prose. And it's 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 looking at the future. What's what's in the future for Homo sapiens at this point in history? So I recommend picking that one up. I, I'm uh, I'm happy to hear you say that that kind of has that uh, feeling because Sapiens was a very heavy book. It was a very good book, but very heavy and did not didn't have the the most uh, the brightest of endings. <laughs> so. Uh, if this book is a little bit more upbeat, that certainly might get me to pick it up. So, <laughs> well, so far it is. Um, it's certainly really interesting and hard to put down. Yeah, and I'm really enjoying Malcolm Gladwell's uh, Talking to Strangers. In fact, I'm listening to the audiobook, and it's probably the most fascinating and interesting audiobook I've ever listened to. He has the actual audio from different people. He has music being played in there. It's almost like a really well-polished podcast. Um, and so uh, if anyone's uh, looking, there's two great uh, book suggestions for you. You have no excuse not to be out there learning and reading uh, with those two suggestions. So um, how can people find out more about you, uh, get a hold of you, uh, work with Future, uh, excuse me, Future Tight? What's the best way for them to do all of that? Yeah, so um, if, if you go to futuretight.co, there's a contact form. And one of the other advantages of, of um, being a, a bespoke, somewhat small firm is that I will personally get back to you within 24 hours. That's just how we do things. So that's probably the easiest way. Fantastic. Well, Andy, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, really learned a lot uh, and appreciate all your perspective and uh, uh, sort of years of wisdom in, in seeing the internet and Silicon, Silicon Valley grow. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to talk to you today. Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's show. Hopefully, you've gained something that you can uh, use in your own career, or at least you've got a couple good books uh, to go back and read. Uh, next week, my guest will include Patricia Jones, CEO of Connected Arrows International, and Jen Spencer, the founder and president and CEO, that's a lot of titles, of the creative executive. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today.
You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2.